Welcome to episode 161 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's been over 20 years since I went to school full-time, and Labor Day weekend still feels like a back-to-school season for me. These days, it's less about the perfect lunchbox and backpack, and more about thinking about what I want to accomplish before the end of the year. There are just about 100 days left that aren't filled with holiday festivities. My mind is already looking ahead to what my goals will be in 2020. I believe in quarterly goals and had a pretty clear plan for my year up until this last part. I had felt conflicted about what to focus on in my business and that showed up with my lack of clarity around goal setting. I dedicated about 18 months to get my coaching program off the ground and I'm so glad I did because I love working with entrepreneurial women to help them grow to the next level. It did come at a cost though. Compared to previous years, I had very few speaking gigs, although fortunately, the ones I did have paid me well. What was the conflict then? Do I dig deeper into my coaching program or refocus my energy on speaking? The truth is, I love being a professional speaker. It is a gift to be able to share knowledge and help others with the spoken word. So I'm spending the rest of 2019 building out an outbound system to line up speaking opportunities for 2020. I can't rely on word of mouth alone as I have in the past. I need to be in the driver's seat. And to be sure I set up the right systems to make this happen, I've set an audacious but not unreasonable goal, 50 talks in 2020. That's what Grant Cardone would call a 10x goal. If you think there might be an opportunity for me to speak for your company, send me an email, robbie at robbysamuels.com. I'll entertain any reasonable offer as my goal is spreading my message and I know the money will follow. Your challenge for this week, take a moment to identify one major goal you will accomplish by the end of the year. Ideally, once you've crossed this off your list, you'll be a big step closer to meeting your major goals in 2020, which means to be strategic, you'll need to begin an outline of what those might be. If you have five goals left for 2019, move some to 2020 so you end this year strong and have a clear vision for what's next. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is the world's first humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while using humor and having more fun. While working in the corporate world, he observed how using humor at work helped him be more effective with the hardest thing he had to manage, fellow human beings. He discovered that research shows that people who use humor well get promoted, make more money, are more productive, and enjoy their work more. He left the corporate position and started his own company, humor that works. He has worked with thousands of people at over 250 organizations, including P&G, Microsoft, and the International Association of Canine Professionals. He is a best-selling author, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Fast Company, and his TEDx talk on humor has been viewed more than 4 million times. Please join me in welcoming Andrew Tarvin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Normally, you'd be home in New York City, but you're currently in a hotel room in LA. Thanks for making it work. Love it. Absolutely. As you know, this is a a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Uh, Well, I think that uh, for me, I, I think of leadership not as a position, uh, you know, it's not a title that you have or, a, a, you know, a, a role that you've been assigned, but rather a, an attitude and specifically it's an attitude in action, right? It's you actually out there doing something. And I think, you know, when I realized that I quote unquote had uh, a leadership skill or ability was in uh, college, at university, my best uh, friend wanted to start an improv comedy group. He needed people and forced me to join. And uh, basically together, he and I, what I didn't have in comedy skill, I made up for in comedy project management. 
So I was like, all right, if we're going to do a group, we should do it for real. We're going to practice three times a week and have a business meeting every single Monday. And we're going to film all of our shows and go back and watch them as if it was game tape. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, but that led to one, the kind of career trajectory that I had of improvisation and uh, helping me get more comfortable with humans. Uh, it led to, uh, we didn't know if the, the group would survive, but it's been around since uh, now, since 2004. So it's in its 15th year. Um, so it survived after we left. And we didn't know we were leaders at the time. We were just creating something cool. And we happened to, to build a vision and an idea that other people ended up following. I love it. I, like there's so much about that rich history that shows in the work you're doing today, um, including that you weren't fond of these humans that you speak of, <laughs> but that that improv actually kind of helped you get more comfortable. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, that was it was a very pivotal and important point. And I think the other thing that's interesting is that at the time, Ohio State's motto. Uh, so I went to Ohio State uh, and that's where we started. The, the motto was do something great. And what I've kind of since realized is that in order to do something great, you have to actually do something, right? Like we didn't set out to say, hey, let's create a group that still exists. And it was, you know, a couple of years ago is ranked as one of the um, top improv college improv groups in the country. And we didn't set out to do that. Uh, it just started with kind of an action an idea, a passion. And we were able to, to get some people to, to follow along with us. So uh, if I were to ask you to, to go even further back, um, what were you like in grade school, like on the playground, you know, like, were you funny? Were you, no one knew who you were? Were you like looking for leadership opportunities? Uh, I mean, not necessarily like looking for it, but I've always been a, a confident kid. I feel fortunate, confident in the sense of confident in my own ability. I have like, for a long time, I was very awkward with other humans, right? That was a, like, I have to deal with other people, but myself, I'm good at like, I was good academically. I did pretty solidly kind of in sports. Um, in kindergarten, girls used to chase me. No, in the second grade, girls used to chase me around the playground. Um, I don't know why. I later, like I, I went to a different school for a little bit and then like uh, the same high school as some people. And I remember asking one of the girls that like used to chase me. I was, around, I was like, why did you chase me? And she's like, I don't know. You had a cool walk. You had a certain way kind of like about you. Uh, that you had a cool walk. And that was like the coolest thing about me. I peaked in second grade in some ways because then I became much more, more nerdy. Uh, I was not the life of the party or class clown. I was my senior year. I was voted teacher's pet. So I was always more on the academic side of things, but I like my, my ethos has always been coolish nerd, like very much a nerd, but almost kind of cool. Not quite, but like not, uh, not uncool. Yeah, being voted teacher's pet is not usually something one touts right. um, as like, here are some credentials of mine. I was once voted. <laughs> and, um, and, but, but it does color, I think, in some of the background that we're looking for as to who you are and how you, how you ended up here. But you ended up, you like went to corporate. Like you took yeah. a, a pretty traditional route out of school. Did you have a sense of where you were headed when you were doing that? Yeah, well, so like I grew up in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I like I had different aspirations. I joke like the, the first thing that I wanted to be was an international soccer superstar. Um, but uh, like if you see me, I clearly never worked out. I'm a frail person. I was like I'm, I played in high school, but that was about the extent that I could go uh, for a brief period of time in school. I wanted to be an international hip hop superstar. Uh, loved rap and hip hop, but uh, not the greatest lyricist uh, and also had a lot of nerd rap. So I talked about like chemistry and math and all of that. Uh, and certainly, at least at the time, there wasn't a huge market for chemistry rap. Uh, and then my family got our first computer and I was like smitten. I was I was the kid that was like taking it apart and seeing how it worked early on into the on the Internet of the AOL discs that you got for free and the you know, uh, dial up modem. Um, when, when we got 56 K, it was like mind blowing about how fast this was. Um, and in high school I joined my, we had an internet club. And so we, as a group made the first website for our school and pretty like at that moment early in high school, it was like, okay, I'm going to go into computers. I'm going to go and like either maybe start my own company, but more likely go to a big company and then rise to the ranks. Like I said, I've always had a little like self-confidence. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll just go, you know, as high as I can in the company. And growing up in Cincinnati, the company to work for is Procter & Gamble. Like 
you, if you get a job at PNG, then, you know, you're, you know, you're going to have uh, exciting work. You know, you're going to live comfortably on the salary versus the cost of living. Uh, you know that like you're retire a millionaire in stock options, basically like you're, you're a set comfortable life and growing up lower middle class to then get a job. So I went to Ohio state, got a degree in computer science and engineering, got an internship at PNG that led time to a full-time offer. And my starting salary at PNG was higher than uh, my mom's salary at the time because she didn't have a college degree. Like me and my brother were the first two to get um, college degrees in our immediate family. So it was like, okay, this is set. This is the ideal. This is what I'm supposed to do. Stay at PNG, work my way to the ranks, all of that. So yeah, very much a traditional kind of the corporate path that I started down. And I found it really interesting how your observations and, and, you know, humor is, is really about paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, funny things happen all the time. Most people just don't note them <laughs> and exactly. don't note them to repeat them. So you were observing sort of like how people interact and you were given some free reign around how to be, who, who gave you permission to, to be who you were in the workplace? Like, how did you realize that that was even an option? Since most people, by the time they achieve what you just described, would think, I'm going to put my nose down and just stay in this job, wait to retirement. Yeah, well, in some ways, like, no one ever gave me permission, uh, but no one ever stopped me either. Like, in in some ways, but in other ways, I will say that I I had very good managers at PNG. So, my first week on the job, uh, my manager at PNG, my full-time manager, said that here at PNG, it's better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And it's like cliche advice. People have heard it before, maybe. But for me, it was incredibly empowering. I had never heard it. I was fresh out of school. I had been doing improv and stand-up. I had considered, like, do I maybe move to Chicago to take improv classes at Second City and I.O.? and all that. But then ultimately, it's like, I can't turn down a job at PNG. And this is kind of what I've been passionate about for a long time. But I was like, all right, if he's saying that it's better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission, I want to test him. I want to see if he like actually means that. And so I started to bring that improv and stand up with me into the workplace just to make my own work fun. Like I remember as an intern, being in a meeting that was incredibly boring. It was like, one of those, like you're sitting and watching the paint dry. You'd rather be doing email and like, a, you know, looking at your to-do list and all of that, which doesn't mean that it's a particularly exciting meeting. And the problem was that I was the one leading the meeting. And so it's like, all right, if I'm bored while talking, they've got to be bored while listening. So I need to have more fun myself. And that those kind of things came together. So with that, I was like, all right, I'm going to test my manager so I started to add jokes at the end of my emails because I love making puns. And then I started teaching improv exercises to my um, team resources as a project manager as a way to build you know, relationships. And the thing that I thought for sure I was going to have to beg for forgiveness for was I proclaimed myself the corporate humorist of PNG and started blogging about it. I got business cards made. I wrote different posts and things. And I assumed eventually someone would stop me, right? Someone from HR or legal would come up and be like, hey, you can't just create your own job title. But no one ever did. Instead, people started referring to me as the corporate humorist. And that kind of like, so in a way, there's a little bit of that permission for my manager to say, hey, it's better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. But no one was like, use humor. It was then just like, all right, let's take that to this next step. Let me bring my own passion in and see where that takes me. Which also makes it more likely you want to stick around. Like it makes a job you were able to show up more and I'm sure you helped other people show up more. One of the things that you did that I read about was that you started to MC events that you weren't actually a part of. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's part of the permission, you know, beg for forgiveness instead. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a thing of like, you know, I, I would, and that's how I got started even within the speaking world was I would be like, Hey, we have an offsite. Can I lead like 10 minutes of icebreakers in the morning? And then that went well with some improv exercises. So then I was like, all right, uh, can I now, let me do, can I do like a 60 minute workshop with our team on communication skills through improv? And that went well. And then I'd hear about an event or someone talk with people and they'd like, this would be coming up. And it's like, hey, can I be, can I be the MC of that? And it would be like for people that were like two or three levels above me, like that I shouldn't even attend, but to be the MC to add a little bit of humor like even if I stayed at PNG, proclaiming myself the corporate humorist would have been still the brilliant thing to do because it gave me a personal brand within the organization. 
now I was a project manager who was good at project management. But in addition to that, I was also doing these other things. And, and you're exactly right. I think P&G, I think the reason why they said yes to it or that they didn't say no to it was that one, they realized I was a lot more engaged. And two, they had a big focus on part of your work development was building the business. What are you doing to actually get better results for the business? But also they had a focus on building the organization. What are you doing to make the organization stronger? And they saw that like from, they got free training from me, right? They didn't pay me separately for those trainings that I was doing. But for me, it also, it, it gave me practice and reps of trying these ideas and, and doing the research that was actually out there and everything. So it was a nice win-win strategy that even if I was still at PNG would have been a huge um, benefit to my career. Yeah, I think that that's the permission that's out there. Sorry, that's the advice that's been out there lately. I know um, thinking about Dory Clark's uh, second book, Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It, which she was um, nice enough to interview me for as one of the many people, Dan Pink's in there, a lot of good people. And, but she's basically talking about like, even if you're in a nine to five job, how do you make yourself distinguished in some way? Because then when there's a conversation about layoffs or bonuses or you know, someone's going to have a chance to be promoted, people at least know who you are, <laughs> you know, yeah, like I mean, it's the ratings process. So like, and at least at PNG, the ratings process is they have a set percentage of how many people can be top rated, middle rated, like, like many big companies. And so if your manager is going into uh, one of those meetings to try to fight for why you should be top rated, if the other people have never heard of you, it's a lot harder where it's like, oh, all we have is a sheet of paper. It's like the hiring process, right? We know that the hiring, the resume is just to get the interview. You still need to have the interview so that people know, are you a human? Can Do I want to spend time with this person? Uh, and then the same thing from managers. I think that was a big benefit where people could look at it and be like, oh, wait, that was the guy that was the MC of this event. Here's his other work stuff. But I saw him or I saw him do comedy. or I saw him uh, presented this thing. Like those, those all like you said, help you to stand out. Yeah. So what made you decide to take the leap? Like what was the moment that you were like, I've built up enough credibility, enough practice times to like try this out. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to leave the corporate. I mean, the golden handcuffs is what comes to mind. <laughs> Particularly think if you come from like a, a, a background where this really is set for life, mm-hmm. like yeah. risking that. And what did your mother say? <laughs> when you like decided to go? Uh, I'm fortunate that my, my parents, uh, particularly my mom has always been incredibly supportive, always like cautious and like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like a lot of her friends were like, you can't leave. You can't like, she knew people like you got a job at PNG. You can't, no one leaves PNG, um, was their mindset. But mom was like, no, if you're, if you're passionate about it, if you're interested, she's like, listen, if it goes terribly, if you need to move back in with me, you're fine. Like she's always been, super supportive in that way, which I feel very, very fortunate for. But there's kind of a, there's a little bit, there's two moments, I think, certainly an evolution in between the moment when I was like, okay, this is what I think that I want to do was I was uh, coming out of a meeting and my coworker pulled me aside, uh, Sarah, uh, her nickname was Ewok. Uh, Cause we had done all done personality assessments from star Wars, which star Wars character are you? Um, so Ewok, she pulled me aside and she was like, you know, I just want to thank you. Uh, and I had no idea what she was thanking me for. So I was, of course, I was like, it is about time um, that you're thanking me. Uh, why are you thanking me though? And she was like, I wanted to thank you because you made this project fun. Um, and I was still confused. So I was like, of course, yeah, of course. Bayesian probability, predictive analytics, of course it's fun. And she's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, she's like, I, I realized, you know, before I joined your team and your project, I was stressed out at work and I wasn't enjoying it and I was considering leaving. And then I joined your team and we had fun, but, you know, we named it Project Optimization. Uh, we did the personality assessments in a fun way. We started every meeting with a question that you would answer. Uh, we celebrated the small victories and the small failures as well. And like, we just had a, a, a great time together on the team. And she's like, I, I realized that no one ever told you to use humor. You just decided to. So thank you. Right. And that's what I was kind of speaking to earlier is that Ewok was right. Like no one ever told me to use humor, but no one ever stopped me either. And it was that moment, her pulling me aside, that was kind of like, for whatever reason, I feel fortunate that I've been using humor. Most other people don't. And if no one is telling people to use humor to to enjoy their work a little bit more, 
maybe I should be the one that does that. Maybe, maybe I can be out there to inspire other people just like Ewok, but in a like larger scale. So that was the prompt to say, okay, this is what I think I want to do. But again, I was at the company that I thought I was going to be at for life and I'm a project manager, so I'm relatively risk adverse. So I was like, all right, if I want this to be true, what needs to happen? So I created a spreadsheet uh, called Operation Leave Corporate America. And I created a list of all the things I needed to accomplish to give myself a reason to believe that I would be successful. So it was like, have a website up, so humorlatworks.com and have X number of clients that I've spoken for, you know, go and take vacation days or leave work early or whatever to go and do some of this stuff part-time, make X number of dollars, have this amount of money saved so that I could live a year in New York without making any money if I ate ramen noodles and dollar pizza um, you know, so that I could give myself a runway. And if I hated it, then I could just find another job, uh, you know, have testimonials on the website, all of these different things. And then once I achieved that, it took about two and a half years. Once I achieved that, I went into my manager's office, like, Hey, I think I'm going to leave. We structured this, like we had a project there we we're wrapping up. So we did it for, you know, four months. And then I left July 1st, 2012. And so it's been, you know, seven years that uh, I've been doing it full time. I, I, I love how you would, I almost want to use the word attacked this <laughs> um, from an engineer's perspective. You know, we, I, I always give people the advice to like, well, before you leave, like get going with the, you know, create a high, side hustle that's viable, you know, know whether you actually like it, whether you can find clients, whether you're good at it, <laughs> you know, all these variables that are pretty important in the, in the long run. And you gave yourself this long checklist and then gave yourself the discipline of two and a half years to move through that and then four more months to finish it up the project. So you left on good terms, you know, I mean, all those things, that's a very analytical approach as opposed to the, ah, I just want to do this. I'm so passionate. Yeah, I'm out of here. Flipping the table over as yeah, I go. take this job and, you know. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's the, the, the thing that I found interesting is that as soon as like, cause I had that kind of a little impulse of like, maybe I should leave right now. Uh, but by creating the spreadsheet, it, it made things a lot easier because I wasn't just going to work every day. And maybe this is a theoretical thing. It gave me like, Oh no, this is something that I'm going to work towards. This is something that I'm going to improve. And yeah, I didn't want to burn bridges. Cause I was like, I don't know, maybe if I hate it, maybe I'll be able to come back to PNG or even if not PNG, then, you know, that network there can probably get me a job within the IT space anyway, um, somewhere else. Right. Speaking back to the, the value of having a network of people that know what you, you need. And, and I figured since I was an IT person that had some communication skills, some social skills, um, you know, I'd be able to find another job if I wanted to or needed to. Um, and yeah, and it, it, may, it really helped to, to set things up for success. Also, the, the savings, like having enough savings to be so that I didn't have to make money right away gave me that clarity and didn't force me to like be too stressed about things right away. Like I certainly got stressed throughout that process, that first year of building things up, but you know, it was at least enough that I could, could make progress. And I had given, I had reason to believe this is a big kind of PNG terminology within clients, but it's like a reason to believe you'll be successful because I had done it because I had been disciplined to do the checklist. It could say, okay, once I do leave, there's reasonable success or reasonable chance that I will be successful in this. So Drew, you mentioned that there was a lot of things that you had to manage and deal with those first year. What, what was the challenge? What, what was the thing you had to overcome? And, and was, it, was it a mental, like, you know, like we're, we all have, you know, mental roadblocks um, or was it things you just didn't know about running a business? Because now suddenly you're on your own, quote unquote, right? There's things you, you have to do that maybe, you know, you, you weren't prepared for. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, on the like straight logistics side, when I was at PNG, I got a, a paycheck every single month, really kind of regardless of how I did. Like, unless I did something absolutely crazy and got like, let go, I was going to get that same paycheck every single month. And then switching to being an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, now, now you don't get any money unless you do something very specific. And it's going to be a different amount every single month or every single week, or it might be a big chunk here. And then you might go seven weeks before another like paycheck or whatever. So just logistically, the, the flow of money um, was different. And then also the discipline, like I had great manager at PNG. And they were all vested in my success. Like my projects led to their project success. And so they would give me advice. They were like, they would help me like, all right, do I do this thing or this thing? And then as an entrepreneur, it's like, all right, here are the thousands of things that I could do. 
And the only person that can make that decision is you. Like I've gotten a lot better now of having a group of mentors and other speakers that I can chat with and can post questions and think through and all of that. But at the time it was kind of like, you know, do I go towards speaking? Do I go towards workshops? Do I go through coaching? Do I, you know, focus on people just in the New York area? Do I, I try to go larger? Do I go um, IT people? Do I go associate? Like there's so many places you can go with this thought. Um, and, and it was challenging. And then even on the, the simple side of like, I hate this. I hate alarms. Like I hate the morning. I'm not a morning person. Um, like I don't, I, I don't mind the morning as long as I'm not awake for them. Right. Like that's my normal thing. So I hate the alarm. So I tried one, I tried like, I'm going to be super disciplined and wake up at six o'clock every single morning and get going. And I realized I hated the first two hours of the day. Like I was somewhat productive, but I was in a terrible mood for two hours of the day. And I'm like, that's not sustainable for me. So then I tried the opposite and I was like, what if I don't set an alarm at all? Right. I work for myself. This is the advantage. And then I just started waking up later and later and later so that I was getting up at like 2 PM and you know, most of the business world was basically done with their day. So just managing even things like schedules where you have no accountability was certainly a Gosh, I, you're bringing back so many memories, Drew. <laughs> I left my day job um, and I, I had been running fundraising events, about 25 fundraising and donor events a year for a decade, raising a million dollars or more a year. And when I left, I, I went from having like a nonstop deadline, right? At 25 events, there's like always an event your long range planning, you've got like the thing coming up that week, if next week, and then all of a sudden it's just like, it's your schedule. <laughs> what are you going to do today? And I went weeks feeling like I didn't get anything accomplished. What did I do? And actually podcasting was the first thing I did with any consistency for my business. And the structure of having to produce a show every single week in an email and build an email list, like that gave me some structure around like how I was spending my time and a platform to network. So as you were sort of settling in and you talked about how you now have this great community of mentors and colleagues, who did you seek out? Like, how did you find those first few people who were in this world? Did you know other speakers when you left? Like, was that even a thing that you were aware of or, or is it sort of happenstance that you met people? Yeah, no, I knew, I knew some. Um, and that was the, that was part of the work of the, you know, the two and a half years leading up to, to leaving was I had discovered more so as a starting point, the applied improv network, which is a kind of a, an organization focused on people who use improvisation for things other than performance and other than theater. And so, and I, that's what I, that's what a lot of our trainings are uh, or include where it's like, okay, I'm going to teach you, right? So if we're talking about communication skills, um, I could talk to you about what makes for effective communication, or you could practice a couple of exercises. And then in the debrief, we could talk about and make the connection of, of how. And then not only are you, you know, building relationships with people in the room. So if it's at a company, it's, it's serving as team building. Um, not only are you learning the valuable skills that we're talking about, but you're also practicing right? So that's tremendous value to applied improv exercises. And there's this group called AIN, Applied Improv Network. And it was like the first time I went to a conference, I was still at PNG. And I went to the conference and it was people who were doing this, had been doing it for like 20 years. And so they were kind of that starting network point of like, okay, how did you start? How did you like start making money? How do you explain this in a way? Because people, a lot of times people hear improv and they think like stand up comedy. So how do you go from one, explaining that improv isn't stand up, and then two, that it's not for you to be funnier on stage, but for you to get more effective. And so that's kind of started the, the network a little bit more. But, you know, I'm, I'm very much an introvert. Um, like I still can be awkward at networking events. I'm not always great at kind of like reaching out. So it took some time to be like, okay, no, I have this vast resource. I'm just not using it yet. And it's, it amazes me that like, cause I'd be like, oh, I don't want to like, you know, impede on someone's time, but like, it's amazing me how many people have reached out and be like, Hey, I'm really struggling with like this question. And they'd be like, yeah, let's hop on the phone and talk for 30 minutes. Of, Here's how you structure that thing. So it took time. It took me a couple months of trying it completely on my own to realize like, no, there's other people who have solved this and I'm an engineer. I'm like, so that means I'm efficient and efficiency is just lazy productivity, right? It's like, I want to be productive, but I want to do it with the least amount of work possible, right? It's lazy productivity. So I'm like, if they've already solved the problem, I should just learn from them and do what they do rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. All right. So clearly there was a mindset shift for you, but you've also been talking about being an introvert and you're an engineer by training. So 
So what process did you create for yourself? Because you're, you're not going to just do happenstance efforts. Like, did you decide that there was a protocol you had to go through in order to like properly build your network? Well, there was one, it was, it, it took some time to realize like, okay, yeah, you, you have to network, right? 70% of jobs are found through networking uh, opportunities. It's where you're going to find your mentors and things like that. Um, but then going to networking events or even, even ones where I kind of knew people were challenging. So then I, then I started with like, okay, I have a rule where if one, I sign myself up for events because we're always, you know, when we put things in the future, we're always like more optimistic of how we're going to feel in the future where you're like, yeah, like I don't want to go to a networking event right now, but I could do one on Tuesday night at 6 PM. So then you like, I would force myself to sign up for it. And then I would force myself to go and be like, all right, I can't leave until I talk to at least three new people. And like, even if it was like, go up and talk to them for 10 seconds, then someone else for 10 seconds and then someone else for 10 seconds and then leave, that would be okay. Right. It's that kind of minimal viable action where a lot of times what would happen is that I would go and start to talk to people and oh, it, it would feel more comfortable. It wasn't as awkward as I thought it was. It was valuable. So then I would stay and that would lead to more and more groups um, going. But then even then, that's still like a little too abstract for me. So then I have a, a three-step process for basically being able to talk with anyone. Uh, and so this I had to develop as a way to like, rather than just being like going in blind, okay, what is my process for doing it? So the three steps are, are one, you have to, you want to ask um, interesting questions. So I remember reading, reading uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, while at PNG. And, he, you know, Dale Carnegie was like, the key to being a good conversationalist is to get the other person talking and then shut up, right? Just listen to them and listen to them authentically. And you, you do that by asking questions. But I realized, like, here's a humor approach. Of, like, if you ask the same boring questions, you get the same boring answers. And then that question, that conversation is not memorable. It's just a, you know, a run through of what you've both planned. So if you ask more interesting questions, instead of questions of like, what do you do? Asking something like, what's the coolest project you've been working on recently? Or what are you most excited about in the work that you're doing? Uh, One, it allowed people who maybe didn't love what they did, gave them an out to talk about something more interesting that they found passionate. Um, And two, it just stood out a little bit more. So one is to ask compelling, you know, interesting questions and actually listen and build off of that. Two is when people ask you questions to tell compelling stories. Because uh, at first I was like, oh, I can just always ask questions. And so then someone would ask me something and then I would try to like defer it and then go back to questions. And I've, then I realized it just felt like me doing 20 questions and I was like interrogating the person. So if it's like someone asks you a question, you do want to share a little bit more about yourself as well. Um, stories are a great way to reveal that information. So rather than just, you know, giving a one word answer of what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm a speaker giving a little bit more of that background. I'm like, oh, well, I've always been an engineer, but then realized that, you know, you can be efficient with computers, but you can't be efficient with people. Um, but luckily for me, I started doing improv and stand up and realized that was helping me be more effective with people. So now I kind of teach people how to use humor to be more effective in the workplace. Like that story, now I realized seeded a lot more information. They remembered, like they latch on to different things. Some people latch on to like, oh, I'm an engineer as well. And we talk about that. Or they're like, oh, improv and stand up. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. Or what do you mean kind of effectiveness? What's the speaking thing or what's the training thing that you do? Like it gave a lot more different, basically kind of signposts or directions that we could go um, and made me more memorable to the people that I was talking with. And then the third step is just to continue the conversation. Once you get there, you have enough of a kind of a base to build from and using an improv principle called yes and you can then, you know, if you've ever run out of anything to say in a conversation before, just yes and whatever the last person said. And build off of it, like even stereotypical small talk of like, how about this weather, right? And we're like, yes, how about this weather? And right, I'm in LA right now. And if you weren't at this event right now, how would you be out enjoying the 70 degree sunshine? Oh, I'd be riding a bike. Great. Now I can talk about bike riding, you know, or I'd be inside watching Netflix. Great. Now we can watch about, you know, talk about which series you're binge watching. And then not only continue the conversation in the moment, but then also recognizing that, you know, it's not a one-time conversation. How do I follow up with the person with something interesting? Like I, I like to follow up with humor, right? If, if there's something that we've talked about, then I'll send an email to someone that I've just met and be like, Hey, it was so great meeting you. When we were talking about, um, uh, uh, you were, we were talking about comedy and stand-up comedy. Eddie is, and I mentioned Eddie is, he's one of my favorite comedians. Here's a great bit called the Death Star Canteen. You ch- should check it out. And now I'm still helping to build the relationship with this person. Not like, hey, hire me for your company, but more, here's something that's going to make you laugh for, you know, a couple of minutes. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much good stuff there. And I hope people like save this moment and, and, and re re listen to it over and over again. Cause I love how you broke that down. And also like, it's, it's fascinating to me because everything you're talking about is, is in what I would call a common sense bucket. Mm -hmm. And yet it's not so common. (laughs) And most people who are just like going through life and who are struggling with how to be present in these spaces, who, whose natural tendency is to come into a, a large, vibrant, chaotic room and go hide in the corner. Um, they, they don't see, like you just broke down these like really you know, simple steps. Even the, just talk to three people. Um, I have something that I wrote about in my book, which was like, you've got 30 seconds to stall, mm-hmm. but then you got to go talk to them. If you stall for more than 30 seconds, you're just not going to do it. Like you, 30 seconds to kind of like, you know, get the wiggles out (laughs) and then go do it because the worst opening line is when you spot someone you're like, Oh, there's drew. I wanted, I wanted to talk to him. And then you're thinking about it, thinking about, I can't remember what you're going to say. And, and, you know, and then you look up and you're gone, (laughs) you know, and and I can go home and like send you an email, but that's just an email. It's not a (laughs) follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not that connection. And, And I think people like, you know, my mom has like some of her high school friends she's known for, you know, 40, 50 years or whatever. They're going on a cruise uh, coming up soon together. They still get together. Like, and I can guarantee you, none of them are like, Oh, I'd be friends with, you know, I I wanted to be friends with you. But the first time we talked, we talked about the weather or it was slightly awkward for two and a half seconds. We have this huge fear like that. We're going to be awkward and that it's going to be terrible. And the reality is that even if it is maybe a tinge, one, everyone's in their own head anyway. But two, that's not going to prevent you from building a long lasting relationship or mentorship or whatever, because they're like, oh, so and so, you know, asked me about uh, uh, the weather when we first, you know, met. Like people think that small talk is it, it's going to have this negative effect, but it, it doesn't. And, but there's still like a fear. And so that's why having these, these tricks or these kind of like, you know, for me, it's a, it's a way of gamifying the process. And this is one of the strategies that we talk about with work in general, when you can find a game, when you can kind of turn what you have to do into a game, you're more engaged and it becomes less about, Oh, like, was it awkward or not? And it becomes more about, Oh, well, I'm just playing the game now and doing what I need to, to kind of check off the boxes. Well, and it gives you a sense of progress too, um, comfort and such. And and thinking about your mom, by the way, you know, even your best friends started out as strangers, right? Like, like we, 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 we forget we've, we have some practice in this, like, unless you're truly a hermit, you have been around people. Um, so here's a question I have though, about this expansive network you've now developed, because now you've gotten good at this. You're, you know, good at talking to people, finding clients, you know, you, but you, you're, you know, you and I met cause you know, a lot of people. And, and so you're in this world. Um, you still have your PNG and corporate corporate like connections, how are you nurturing, not just like the inner circle, like the people who have your back and are really mentoring you and you're mentoring them, supporting them, but that sort of second and third layer out in your network, the people that you maybe you see once a year at a conference or you only really know them online sort of a little bit, or they worked with you seven, eight years ago, but you really haven't had a reason to talk to them on a regular basis. Like, how do you, like, what's your habit or philosophy or practice around nurturing and sustaining connections after that one time, making it into a relationship. Yeah, there's um, there's kind of two two approaches. There's a, a slightly more selfish approach that I I um, you know that's there of like I let people know the things that I'm up to, like um, you know, and I, I I have the advantage of that it is humor. So for example, I just recently. Uh, so I had a book come out not too long ago and to celebrate the book, I decided to do a literal book launch, uh, which I did for my last book as well. Uh, the last book I shot it out of catapult. So this book, I decided to uh, strap it to a, a small little model rocket and shoot it up into the sky. Uh, and so it's like, I have a, um, a 90 second video that's, you know, kind of demonstrating me putting the model rocket together and putting a picture of the book onto the, the model rocket and shooting it up in slow motion. And, um, uh, speaking of network, I posted on Facebook and I was like, do I need, do I know anyone that can sing a cover of uh, rocket man by Elton John and a uh, fantastic speaker and entertainer, a guy named Jason Hewlett, um, who I met years ago at national speakers association was like, yeah, I used to parody him in one of my shows. And so he put the, he like sang a cover of, uh, 
Elton John's Rocket Man, and it's now the backing track of the video. And it's just super fun. It's kind of playful, positive. It's only like 90 seconds, maybe two minutes. Um, and so I share that out with people so that they know kind of some of the stuff that I'm up to and it prompts them to kind of respond and reply. And then, you know, so that's kind of the selfish side of like, well, just tell people about the cool things I'm up to and we'll have a conversation. Um, but people want that. I really, it took me a long time to be willing to do that, but I've realized now that people have been seeking it out. And when I don't do it for a long time, they'll be like, Hey, where, you know, where are your updates? If I don't write a pun on Twitter, um, after a while, people are like, where are the jokes? Right. This is why I'm friends with you. So you make me laugh. Um, that's part of it. But the other part of it is leveraging technology. I'm a, a technology person. And so, um, you know, I leverage Facebook's birthday feature. I leverage, you know, LinkedIn's congratulate this person on a job. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just finding the, the most minor of excuses to kind of pop in and say, hey, congratulations on, you know, in this new role or happy birthday. I'd love to kind of catch up. Like there's, there doesn't have to be much of a like, it doesn't have to be a solid justification. Even with people that I've like met a little bit earlier on and I want to build a relationship with, I'll sometimes like send them an email and be like, Hey, I saw this article, which made me kind of think of some, one of the things that we, we talked about or some one, like something that you're up to. And, uh, a lot of times the, I just saw this article means I just Googled something about the topic that we talked about so that I have an excuse to send you an email, but it's still in the email. I'm saying, I just saw this article. I just have to interrupt interrupt because I'm so glad you just explained it that way because I've had so many people say, how do you, how do you always stumble across great content? <laughs> and I'm like, because I Google it. Yeah. Or if you want to be really fancy, put a Google alert for the kinds of content that might be of interest. Like if you know someone's at a company and you want to track what's going on in that company, like set up an alert. And that way when something happens, it's big you'll know to send them a note. You don't have to wait for the inbound like information from them. I mean, technology, it, it honestly makes it so easy. And so it's almost, it's almost funny that doing those simple, again, common sense things actually make you stand out because most people really aren't. So I just want to go back to the birthday and the congratulations on your new job thing because there are super simple ways of doing that, which is just to write happy birthday or congrats. HBD. Yeah. HBD. And, and on LinkedIn, they li- three letters. On LinkedIn, they actually give you the option to just fill in, like it fills it in for you. Yeah. You're doing more than that. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that you're like, right? So, so that, that, and I always think of, when I get reminded by LinkedIn or Facebook about those things, I think, do I have their phone number? Can I text them? Um, and if I don't have that, I'll send them, can I send them a Facebook message? Because even on my birthday, I get hundreds of, of wall posts, but I can barely keep up with liking them and saying thanks because I'm busy having a birthday. Right. I don't, if my mother commented, I wouldn't remember. Like yeah. <laughs> if my mother didn't call me and just commented on my wall, I'd be like, why didn't my mother say anything yeah. for my birthday? I don't get it. What's going on here? Um, so we, we like, people are kind of like, if my mother calls, but doesn't comment on my Facebook, then it's like, does it matter? Because no one saw that my mom right. wished- my mom doesn't really actually love me because she didn't comment on Facebook. Yeah. Um, right. So I, I just think like taking the, the prompts, right, yeah. technology, but then thinking about how to take it to another place where, where it's more noticeable. Uh, where, I guess more of a one-to-one communication where it's more noticeable stands out. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So it's not a like, just leave a comment on the wall, but it might even be a personal Facebook message to be like, hey, happy birthday. Hope it's a, you know, a great one. We should like, uh, are you available in the next couple of weeks to actually like, catch up or, you know, in honor of your birthday, here's this thing that like, uh, I like, I don't know, one of my favorite questions asked, one of those like kind of interesting questions is um, what do like, what are you known for with your group of friends? Like, and so what do people send you messages about? So for example, like I love puns and milkshakes. And so like, if, if there's a new milkshake place that opens up in New York city, so like black tap opened up like a few years ago and there are these like massive decadent, uh, milkshakes, I got probably messages from at least 10 different people saying, Oh my God, have you heard about black tap and these amazing milkshakes? That's the brand that I want. I want people to tell me when they have a good milkshake, same thing when they see a great pun, I want people to reach out. And so what I like, especially in group settings, it's a great question to have people kind of go around and say, what are you known for? And then I remember that. So then the next time, you know, something comes up, like 
uh, our friend Phil Jones, he's really into different like muscle cars and like, you know, old school style cars. So if I see one, I can take a picture of it and send it to him. A fun follow-up question to that is also, okay, what would you like to be known for? What would you like your friends to send you stuff about? And then you can kind of remember that. So if someone's like, ah, man, I like, I don't know what, for whatever reason, I love like puppy videos. Oh, okay, great. If I see a puppy video or an old neighbor of mine loved elephants. And so then if I would see like an elephant meme, it's an easy thing to kind of like send along. What I love is that you're, you're doing Intel that helps you create better, um, connections, stronger relationships, but you're also in the moment providing fantastic conversation starters that are actually engaging. Um, but you're, it's not like, it's not like you're like snooping on their wall to see what do people actually post in their wall. You're like asking them, this is so novel. You're, you're talking to actual human beings and saying like, what are you known for? And what do you wish you were known for in your circle? I mean, I'm a big believer that you, um, you teach people how to interact with you how to treat you like through your actions. Like this is a big thing that we talk about with corporations. If you are sending email responses to your coworkers at 2 a.m., you are telling them that you will respond to emails at 2 a.m. It's going to change their behavior. Um, so for, and, and you can be more proactive in how you teach people. My um, outgoing voicemail message at PNG was, uh, hi, you've reached Andrew Tarvin. Uh, I can't make it to the phone right now. Uh, you are more than welcome to leave a message if you would like, but I will be honest, I hardly ever check this. I can never remember what my Audix passcode is, and it might be three or four months before I ever get to this. So if you actually want to get a quick response from me, send me an email at tarvin.aapg.com or shoot me uh, a message on uh, instant message, right? Thanks, bye, right? I'm telling them that they can leave a message if they want to, it's probably not going to get responded to in any type of quick thing. So instead send me an email, right? So I, don't, can- I, I don't know whether I was like not quite as funny, but I, I had a very similar message when I worked at my company. It basically just said, if you want a faster response, send me an email. <laughs> Cause yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's probably a better way to, if you want a faster response and, and I had my cell phone on because I was an event person and I said, you know, and if this is actually an emergency, you need to reach me. Here's my cell number. And people were like, my cell number was also on my business card. And they were like, how do you give that out to everybody? And I'm like, people don't abuse it. Like, I only get a call if it's like day of and a truck's not going to show up on time. Like, I've never had someone call me at three in the morning (laughs) and ask me questions about work. Um, That this doesn't happen. It's it's just really interesting. So I, we're coming to the end here, and I want to ask you, this is my favorite questions, Jude. Okay, before you get there, and I know oh. we're there, I wanted to say this really quick as, a, as an idea, is when people offer something like that, actually take them up on it. Like, because I, I also give my email out at almost every event that I go to, and people are kind of like, yeah, but like, don't you, like 0.1% of people ever oh. use it. 0.1% that do, I actually want to reach out because they're they're invested and they're proactive. So it's like, as you're Absolutely. thinking about building your network, be that kind of person. Be like, no, actually, let me reach out. So quick kind of like confirmation on that is great. Awesome. Jan- Drew, I'm so glad you said that because I offer a 20-minute call whenever I do a talk. And mm-hmm. I have, I've had planners say, please don't offer that because you're, because no, we don't, we don't really need that. You know, they, they're, and I'm like, are you sure? Because <laughs> I'm okay doing it because like the three people who are going to call me out of like 400 people, like I'm. You know, those are three people that I want to talk to and I'm happy to answer their questions. Um, but like you said, most people like given the opportunity, just don't. They're like, whatever, I, I'm not going to do that. So here's the last question. Um, you know, we're, I know we're going to stay in touch. I've already gotten to meet you in person, which is awesome. Let's say we are connecting a year from now and we are reflecting on all that you've accomplished in the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Uh, what am I most looking forward to? Uh, the continued kind of rollout of the book. Um, certainly I hope that uh, people are finding actionable and that they enjoy it. And, um, I hope that I'm like, I'm, I'm excited because I haven't been able to do a lot of stand up lately and heading into the summer, I have a couple of months where I'm going to really focus on stand up. So I hope I have, you know, like an hour of, of really good nerdy, uh, stand-up material that is performed somewhere in some setting, maybe even out to, to videos with people. That's well, and congratulations. So the book is Humor That Works, The Missing Skill for Success and Happiness at Work, which released a little while ago and I'm sure is just rising on the charts. Um, we'll have the link to that in the show notes. How else can people find you and follow your work? 
Uh, so they can find me. I am uh, at Drew Tarvin for everything. So website is drewtarvin.com. I am on uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Those are all Drew Tarvin as well. Recently realized I still have a MySpace page. Um, so myspace.com slash Drew Tarvin. There's like a, a picture from 2008 up there. I need to like update it or something. But if you're if you're a huge MySpace fan, you can connect with me there as well. Uh, and then Drew at DrewTarvin.com. Uh, like I said, just with my talks as well, if people are interested in humor or this engineering approach to things, I'm incredibly passionate about what I do. I, I get very excited about being able to help people to um, you know, improve their work while also uh, having more fun doing it. Uh, so more than happy to chat with people if they have questions or uh, comments. Awesome. And I'm also going to include a link to your TEDx talk, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, hard to share a lot of content that delivers, but also is really fun. Um, so people should definitely check out the Skill of Humor TED, TEDx talk, which we'll have a link to in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much, Drew. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Drew. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 161. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which one were your favorite interviews. How can I help your organization? Is there an opportunity to bring me in to speak or to lead a webinar? Do you want your team to be ready to make the most of networking opportunities at upcoming conferences? Learn more at robbysamuels.com forward slash speaking and then Let's chat. Is it your job to convene people in your industry? I have a range of services to help you increase retention, engagement, and member value by creating more welcoming and inclusive conference experiences. Learn more at robbysamuels.com forward slash associations. If you're eager to get started, you can reach me directly at 617-600-8240. If you enjoy this episode with Drew, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week and interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.